ladies and gentlemen, to the West Coast Takeover Week, Week 8, Take the Points College Football Podcast. I've never seen it before, but almost all the intriguing games are west of the Mississippi, and it's a good thing that being in Connecticut, I've got my two co-hosts here from Phoenix, Arizona, Dan and Ryan, who are really going to be running the show this week. So uh, say hello, Dan. Hello, America. Ryan, you ready for this West Coast takeover? I am well prepared, Tom. We can get into the lines very shortly, but of course, we always start by looking back at last week, and usually I throw it to you guys, but I think it's pretty obvious what we got to talk about, the one game that stands out above all others. Tennessee 52, Alabama 49, game of the year so far, best game I would say since what, 2019, Bama, LSU, Dan, probably. Yeah. Dan thoughts on the game. Take it away. No, I mean, it kind of went, you know, as expected, a high scoring game, um, you know, uh, have to hand it to uh, Tennessee for coming back and winning there. It seemed like Alabama, you know, had pulled even and they were going to kind of pull away there, but um, they made some plays, recovered a fumble. Um, you know, was able to fade uh, an Alabama kicker, which has been an ongoing thing here for a couple of years. And they made the kick and congratulations to them and all the people in Tennessee. I'm sure that was about as great of a sporting moment as uh, that state's had in a long time. Um, so just incredible football. Um, in addition to that, uh, TCU Oklahoma State was great, went to overtime. Even Michigan State Wisconsin was great in overtime. And then USC Utah to cap the the whole weekend was phenomenal. Um, Just a super, super, super fun Saturday. Highly enjoyable. I was exhausted when it was over. When like when when Utah went for two, I was like, okay, that's it. Twelve hours. My eyes hurt. Game over. But um, no, just I mean that's that's why college football is so good. And then. You know, you got the NFL, you got Chicago, Washington on Thursday night football, and you got Russell Wilson scoring 12 points and the Chargers coach being an idiot. And it's just the NFL blows. Um, it was nice to see the Bills win. That's the one exception. But besides that, uh, college football, once again, reigns supreme. Dan, we're getting to the point where if you found a person who was like living in a cave and didn't know anything about football, and you just showed him, showed them last Saturday, you made them watch all the games from last Saturday, then you made them watch all the NFL games from last week, including the Thursday night, and then you just asked them a simple question, which one is the amateur level and which one is the pro level? You think they could answer that? Yeah, they'd say college is the pro level. I mean, NFL sucks. I just want you guys to get one title and just retire. Join me in it. That's all I need. Uh, Ryan, thoughts on Bama, Tennessee or anything else? Um, I think it's kind of, you know, you guys kind of covered it. Dan covered it. Um, The one thing I'll say is, you know, we say it a couple of times a year. College special teams is the great equalizer. It's just it's a total crapshoot in special teams. And I think it's the most underrated part of of the game. And it's the one that in probably you know, affects more games than people realize at the college level, especially it's, it's the great equalizer. And, you know, it's, it's fun when these games get a little bit, a little bit wonky towards the end, because you really can't count on anything. 
I will say when uh, Mark McGrath or whatever the Tennessee's kicker name is, when he kicked that game-winning field goal and I saw it come off the foot, I was like, well, we're headed to overtime. Because that one yeah, that was the, one of the worst game-winning kicks I've ever I seen. it was but, short. Yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was tipped, and I thought it was going to fall about 10 yards short. And even when it went through on my TV screen, I, I'm like, are we sure that went through? Like, let's see a replay of that. And then it did. And the one thing I would add is like what makes college football better than NFL and makes it the best sport. It's not just the game on the field, but it's all the surrounding things, the, the, you know, showmanship or whatever you want to call it. The moments that watching the fireworks at Tennessee stadium and watching everyone storm the field and Hypel, like with the shit eating grin on his face, doing the interview, and then everybody taking the goalposts down the street, throwing them in the river. That's one of those things. It doesn't matter what happens the rest of the year with Tennessee. They could win a national title or they could lose every other game. But that's one of those things that everyone there is going to remember for the rest of their life, like completely independent. And that's something that NFL doesn't really have. I mean, Every once in a while you get a moment like that, but college football every year has moments that you remember the moment independent from how the team actually performed that season. I mean, when uh, Notre Dame beat Clemson during the pandemic a few years ago, like Notre Dame, you know, didn't do anything significant that season, but you still remember that moment. Um, all those Joe Burrow smoking a cigar and stuff like that. You know, there's, there's these things that like imprint on your memory for the rest of your life. And that's one of them for Tennessee fans, for sure. Um, question, Tom. That uh, final field goal by that kicker, McGrath, um, would it be fair to say that that um, his kick that went over, uh, that, that, that went end over end, had um, uh, too many RPMs? Would that, <laughs> would that be a fair assessment on that, by chance? Yes, Dan, that would be a fair assessment and a great joke for the three of us and maybe one person listening that will understand. That was a fly joke. You can it's tell a great, that one every morning. It's always important that when you make a, a reference to Sugar Ray or any other band, first off, we got to pick a band that's 25 years old, and then we have to pick a deep cut from their album that nobody knows. <laughs> it's very important. All right. All right anything ready? else? Yeah. You know what? We can um, assess last week as we go through the lines because there's certainly other things I'd talk about from last week, uh, namely Michigan, Penn State. But uh, we'll get to that. So, yeah, not good. Uh, No. Dan, Ryan, let's do some lines. All right. We're going all the way to Saturday. The early week games leave a lot to be desired. This one might as well, but let's go. Big 10, Iowa at Ohio State. Ohio State land 29 and a half, total 49. That's a high over-under for Iowa and a low over-under for Ohio State, hence the number. Tom, can Iowa make this a sloppy 31-14 game, or is this Ohio State's up 17-0 in the first quarter and the woodshed is imminent? So I'm excited to talk about a high scoring competitive big 10 game, but since you skipped over Indiana Rutgers, let's talk about this one instead. Um, I mean, I was, I hate to say this, they've got a decent chance to cover this by losing something like 33 to seven. Um, I don't think there's anyone on earth who believes they'll beat Ohio state, 
but Iowa's defense is still pretty stout. They still force turnovers. They still limit teams to uh, unders most of the time. And so I do think, I do think they can cover for sure. Um, But I think we've also reached the point of the season with Iowa that I just wouldn't feel comfortable betting anything on them because if you lose, you're going to feel like an idiot. And that's something we bring up Mm -hmm. for 10 years of doing this show. You, you know, before you place a bet, just think to yourself, if I lose this bet, will I feel like an idiot for having placed it? And the answer, if you bet on Iowa is yes. Therefore I'm going to have to lean Ohio state. I agree with you. Uh, if this game was in Iowa, I think there'd be more chance of some, some nonsense, a pick six or something. But I think Ohio State begins to roll. Iowa presses. They're terrible. And the wheels come off early. I think maybe like 49-7 Ohio State final. Ryan, what do you think about this game? Speaking of wheels. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> the thing that I'm looking at most for this game is the weather at the Columbus airport. Because I don't want our good friends, Kirk and Brian Ferentz, to not only get fired on the road in Columbus, but to get left on the tarmac in Columbus. Have you guys been to Columbus, Ohio? It smells awful. The whole city stinks. It smells. (laughs) It's terrible. This is breaking news on Take the Points. I had no idea. Oh, it smells awful in Columbus. I'll be out it's, there. It's, I'll be out there next year, so I will report back on the smell on 2023. Take the points. Thank you. Please, please do. But while we're there, we're going to jump over to the tarmac report, folks. Right off the bat, game one, week eight. We're getting right into it. I got some stats to go with the tarmac today, folks. So we're going to get right here. Number five on the tarmac down in Florida. Speaking of weather. Mike McIntyre, Florida International, they are awful. How awful do you ask? What's their point differential on the year? That's right, minus 25.8 on the year. Yeah, that is not a great point differential. Minus 26 a game. They are going nowhere fast. Speaking of nowhere fast, Fat Butch Jones just red in the face, losing another game. 20 to 19, can't come through in the clutch, choking it away another loss. Arkansas State, you can do better than Butch Jones. Look what Tennessee did. They got rid of Butch. They got the right coach. It can be done. Number three, we're going back down to Florida. Dan was on this early, and I'm just riding his coattails. Jeff Scott, South Florida, another brutal minus 18 point differential this year. Not great. Number two, I cannot believe we didn't get to open the show with another tarmac casualty. Brian Harson. They're in a bye week this week, and they had the opportunity to axe him. But Ole Miss got bored. Lane Kiffin stopped paying attention for like 20 minutes of the game and let them stick around. 
what a disaster. He pulls his starter, brings in the backup. He's in for like one play. That's a disaster. And they go back to the, to the originals. It's just, he's grasping at straws and Lane let him hang around a little bit too much. And he got to keep his job, but it won't last long folks. There's got to be a buyout situation. That's my guess. Is his his buyout must drop significantly here in the next couple of weeks, and they're just waiting for that drop. I think it's at the end of the year, but yeah, but that's still no excuse. Well, he might Saban might the ultimate Shang Song might get another another soul after the Iron Bowl. And number one, the tandem, Kirk and Brian Ferentz. I got a, some stats for you here. Tom, you mentioned maybe they can keep it close. They play good defense. Do you know that Iowa actually has the lowest points against in the country this year? 59 points allowed all year. Yeah, the defense is legitimately good. Here's the problem. They are one of six teams in the entire country that have scored less than 100 points so far this year. 100, not a high bar. Everyone's played at least six, some teams seven games. Here are the teams that Iowa and their offense are associated with. Colorado with 87. Colorado State, 73. Both those teams already fired their coaches. Florida International, 93. We just talked about them. Temple, 88. That's also not great. And UMass at 84. And that's through seven games where everyone else has mostly played six. UMass has played seven. That's not great. That's not great to be associated with those teams offensively. However, their defense is legit. 59 points allowed. Can you guys guess who the second best defense by points allowed on the season total points allowed is? Well, Illinois. That is correct. Dan. Is it Illinois? Damn. 62 points allowed Georgia at 64. Georgia is the third best defense in the country behind Iowa and Illinois. Mm-hmm. Real quick, a uh-huh. <laughs> couple other, here's the other can teams I, Can I just year. throw something in? Uh, Iowa did sure. score a defensive touchdown a couple weeks ago, so whatever their point total is, you should subtract seven when you're talking about Brian Ferentz. Well, that puts them down to 81 right around. That That's a field goal less than UMass. Ooh. Good for them. Ooh. Yeah. Real quick, though, uh, the other top defenses in the country. So we have Iowa. Illinois, Georgia, here are the next four best defenses by points against allowed. Minnesota, 70. Syracuse, 79. Mm -hmm. This one shocked me. Central Florida, 86. That's surprising, right? The, The Gus Malzahn offense is actually a defensive team uh and 87 points is san jose state and 
uh, Ohio State, 94. Those are the only teams in the country who have given up less than 100 points on the year. And real quick, last thing, point differential. Here's the worst five teams in the country on point differential. The worst is UMass. That's obvious. Second worst, Florida International. I'm going to skip one. Fourth worst, Colorado. We know what they've done. Fifth worst, Hawaii. We know they're in a real rough spot right now with a new coach. Who has the third worst point differential in the country and might be on the tarmac sooner than we thought? A favorite of Tom Z, who, if he gets the tarmac, could go back to Happy Valley. Oh, it's got to um, be Brent Pry, Virginia Tech. No, it's no. A, just Joe Moorhead coaching. Correct. Where's he at? Akron. That's right. They have the third worst point differential in the country. They are horrible. <laughs> Moorhead can't coach. I'll I'll tell you what. Yeah, as a head coach, no. Um, Correct. But as a coordinator. Seeing the guys who have uh, replaced him or, you know, followed him up at Penn State, I'd welcome him back in a heartbeat. As That's OC what I figured. He, he's, not a, he's not a head coach. This, this just proves it. And in the, the awful Mac, they're one in six with the third worst point differential in the country. Not great. The Mac's terrible this year, by the way. Like if there's ever a year to, you know, um, to, you know, out coach yourself so to speak yep so that's that's the worst of the worst folks that's a, an extended edition tarmac too bad yeah. well well uh i mean first off great job as usual ryan secondly the big 10 the conference of defense holding it down i'm sure that has to do only with stellar defenses and no other factors and uh I'm excited. I'm excited for uh, more Big Ten under action. All right. Back to the lines, Dan. Okay. Let's keep going here. Noon slate on Saturday. Syracuse Orange at Clemson. Clemson minus 13 and a half, over under 49 and a half. A battle of unbeaten. Someone has to go down. Tom, start, start us off. Sure. Um, both teams going in basically at full strength, if I'm not mistaken, you know, no significant injuries. So, uh, you're getting the best two teams in the ACC right here. Clemson of course gets a big advantage from having this at home. They also have been playing well. I mean, I've been saying all year that Clemson's going to lose and they're overrated, but it's hard to argue that, you know, it's getting harder to argue that the last few weeks, although, you know, they didn't, like they didn't destroy Florida state, you know, but, uh, they, they did play better than them and they won against a improving Florida state team. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but the way Syracuse has been playing and, you know, you mentioned the defense especially, and I just, I'm not, I'm still not a believer in Clemson's offense. I do feel like the Cuse can go down there and give them a game and hang within 14 points. And call me crazy, but I would put it at 20% that Cuse can win this game outright. And of course, we're going to keep it on the ground with Sean Tucker. We're going to play a great defense. 
maybe get a couple turnovers, force uh, Uyunglele to make some bad decisions and control the time of possession, keep it low scoring. And so I'm going to take Cuse plus the 14. And uh, I guess you have to pair that with an under because if they're going to win or keep it close, it's got to be a low scoring game. It doesn't have to be, but that's, you know, that's the ideal scenario. So I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time actually pulling the trigger on just saying they're going to win outright, but you know, 24, 21, I think. Ryan. Uh, Tom mentioned it. It's just both teams got healthy. Clemson's defensive line is basically finally healthy for the second game, I think, all year. So this is just a hammer under. I think the spread is about right. I, I don't feel comfortable with Syracuse trying to get a backdoor. They don't have that kind of offense. So I'm staying away from that, but I am hammering the under. And I'm doubling down and going first half under is the absolute play of the weekend. First half under. Very good. Um, this is the time of year where you need to look at uh, teams and not only who they've played, but where they've played up to this point. Let's just quickly look at Syracuse schedule. Home against Louisville. Very good. Home against Purdue. At UConn, which is a inner squad scrimmage in Hartford, pretty straightforward. Uh, and excuse then, me, Dan. East Hartford. They're not ready East for the Hartford. big time of Hartford. Yeah. Um, home against Virginia, home against Wagner, home against NC State. Beat Purdue on a miracle drive with 40 seconds to go after Purdue took two personal foul uh, penalties to kick off from their own 15. Beat that terrible Virginia team on a midweek game by two points. Played against Wagner and had a running clock in the second half and played against NC State without their quarterback, Leary, and their worst offense I've seen probably this year in college football. Um, first real road game, and it's at Clemson in South Carolina. This isn't at Hartford. Clemson is sneaky good and flying under the radar, actually, somehow at number five. They manhandled Florida badly, or Florida State, in the second half. Uh, Florida State made it look close with a couple backdoor scores. They were up 17 on NC State, a healthy NC State team. Uh, Clemson's healthy. They got the D-line. The um, the game against Wake Forest, Wake Forest has that weird um, mesh handoff formation that gave Clemson a little bit of trouble. But Syracuse um, is not a mesh team. I got a bad feeling this one starts bad for Syracuse and they can't pass their way out of it. I think Clemson covers and wins this game by three scores. So it's been a good run. But uh, it's over for the Orange come Saturday. And it's not the and this is not the last time on the show. I'm going to talk about teams playing all their games at home this uh, up to this point. We got one more coming, but we'll save that for later in the show. So Dan, right, you think uh, my you think my dream of a ten and two Syracuse versus a ten and two Penn State in the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl is out of hand? No, I mean Syracuse can still win ten games. Their schedule is pretty straightforward. I mean it's it's not hard. Um, but um, Penn State, I don't think, is going 10-2 and because Mandy Diaz can't coach, but we'll probably talk about that at some point later as well. Um, all right, let's continue on here a little bit. I'm just picking the cream of the crop this week. We're going to go all the way down to Ole Miss at LSU. We got Lane Train undefeated at 7-0. and 
at Brian Kelly's LSU squad. Uh, I'll start this one being an SEC game. This game, oh, by the way, it's LSU minus two, total 68. So this is why college football is great. You got the number seven ranked team in the country on the road against the unranked school as a two-point underdog. Um, This game's really hard. Uh, Ole Miss transferred in a lot of players in the offseason, probably the second most to USC. Um, New quarterback, new running back, new players on defense. They got uh, a whole bunch of new um, toys to play around with. They haven't really put it all together, but they've been improving the past couple of weeks. Um, Still a hard team to read. LSU, you just have no idea what the hell they're going to do. Are they going to come back um, out of the blue against Mississippi State and win? Are they going to go to Florida and handle them with ease? Or are they going to be awful LSU and nearly lose to Auburn and lose to Florida State, uh, you know, uh, get stomped out at home by Tennessee? I have no idea. Um, I have no clue on the line or the total, but if I had to gun to my head, I'd probably just bet it over because it seems like LSU – doesn't feel like playing any defense this year, which is a very un-LSU-like, but super hard game to pick. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, I'm rolling with the lane train. You know, um, I thought that last week against Auburn, they 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 were up big. They were dominating that game and just kind of got bored and dicked around a little bit. Um, I think people are still not sold on Ole Miss and, and not convinced that they're, you know, pretty good. So I'm going to keep riding that. I like the over, too. Uh, for me, this is like a, uh, you know, 38-34 type of game, and I think uh, I think Ole Miss can win that. Very good. Tom Z. Yeah, LSU is way too inconsistent this year to put any money on or against, and so I'm going to stay away. I do think Ole Miss is probably going to win this game. I f- it's really strange. I mean, all of the history of LSU and how they've looked and, you know, what we've thought of them, you basically have to throw it out the window now that Brian Kelly's the coach because inconsistent play, lack of effort, um, guys just quitting mid game or, you know, guys who, uh, have only half-assed it all year. Um, as we said a couple weeks ago, like this is the first team where, you know, who's going to sit out the bowl game in week four. And, I, I don't know. I mean, Ole Miss is the opposite. Like, yes, they jacked around a little bit last week, but they've been um, consistent, you know, uh, hard-fought <sighs> games, playing well, playing hard for their coach. And, uh, you know, it's a tale of team two different types of teams. And it's too bad because I really – I know you guys don't like them. you got a bad taste in your mouth. But I do think Jaden Daniels is, you know, one of the top three or four LSU quarterbacks of this century. I think he's – a good addition to this team. And if he was playing for Ed Orgeron, I think Ed Orgeron would still be there. So, um, yeah, you just don't know with LSU, but I'll go with the more consistent team in this case. Hard game to pick. Yeah. It really speaking is. of, uh, speaking of coaches named Kelly, Chip Kelly, UCLA travels to Oregon, uh, Oregon, a six point favorite total 71 and a half. DTR versus Bo Nix. If you watch this game sober, that's on you. Uh, Ryan, kick us off on this one. Total 71 and a half. 
that's that's the number to, to look at, Dan. It's 71 and a half. It sounds high. It is not even close to high. This is going way, way over. I think both of these teams can get to the 40 number. Um, to me, this is like a, uh, you know, f- probably a 44 to 40 type game. Don't know who's going to win it. I honestly don't. I don't trust Bo Nix at all. DTR is like two years younger than us, I think. <laughs> I think he graduated high school in like 04. So it's it's a total coin flip for me. I'm just going to bet the over and have some fun. Um, see. DTR and Hendon Hooker combined years in college, 22? 30, 35. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm abstaining from picking this. This is out in your territory. I here's how little I've paid attention to Oregon that when I saw they were ranked 10th this week, I was like, Oh, that's a misprint, right? Like they're unranked. So, uh, I guess I'll, yeah. I mean, I guess I'll take the points with UCLA because I've seen them and I know they're playing well. And I didn't even know that Oregon was anywhere near decent. So, uh, with zero confidence, I'll take UCLA. All right. Uh, I like Ryan's over and give me Oregon as well. Let's just dive into this UCLA schedule real quick. Home against Bowling Green, home against Alabama State, home against South Alabama where they won 32-31 and had to come from behind in the fourth quarter. Their one road game was at Colorado where they won 45-17. Giving up 17 to Colorado, um, graded on a curve, is like giving up 50, so that's not good. Um, They beat Washington 40-32 and beat Utah 42-32. So. Oregon's getting in the 30s or 40s, like Tom said. This is the first real road game for UCLA since the game against Colorado's scrimmage. Um, Autzen Stadium, one of the hardest places to play in the country. Give me Oregon in this game, uh, 52-38 for a final in this one. Uh, Okay, moving on. Texas at Oklahoma State. Texas uh, st- uh, had a sandwich game last week, um, sandwich between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. They had the home game against Iowa State, jacked around, got really lucky to win that game um, thanks to a drop by the Iowa State wide receiver and a questionable non-call on the targeting slash fumble at the end of the game. But they got the win. Oklahoma State lost in overtime at TCU. They started off hot and looked good. There were some questions on whether Spencer Sanders was going to play. In the second half, he looked very injured um, against TCU. He looked terrible. Or maybe that's just Spencer Sanders. I'm still not sure. But um, either way, the line keeps rising. South Texas minus six and a half. Total 61 at Oklahoma State, which seems a little bit high to me. Um, If Spencer Sanders is healthy, I like Oklahoma State. There, but I don't have the balls to back him against Texas. 61's too low. I'll take the over in this game um, and try to have some fun with it. Ryan, what do you think? This is a weird one. Totally agree. Exactly the same as the game we just discussed, UCLA, Oregon. I have no real feel or confidence in, in a line, but I love the over. So I'm just going to ride that out on the over and uh, you know see what happens. Okay. Tom, you got any thoughts on this one? Yeah. And the over the total seems too low. So I will make it three on the over in terms of the line. No, this is your guys territory. 
I, I suppose I would take six points with the higher ranked team if given the choice. Okay. All right. Uh, scanning through the games. We're going to go down the list. We're going to go pretty far down here. Mississippi State at Alabama. Alabama minus 21 at home, total 60 and a half. Alabama, of course, coming off of a heartbreaking loss to Tennessee. Um, you know, Alabama could have three losses. They could have no losses. So one probably sounds about right. And it won't, you know, um, keep them out of a national championship game. Their fate is still in their hands the rest of the way, of course. Mississippi State with a strange uh, year. Um, won some games. Lost to LSU. Lost at Kentucky last week. Kentucky with Will Levis, just a totally different team, as we saw. South Carolina got very lucky to catch them without Levis. Levis might be the number one overall pick of the draft, by the way. I'm hearing some hearing some things, uh, which is amazing. And Penn State should have their head examined, apparently. Um, the, well, hey, listen, you know, seven years of Sean Clifford is worth more than, you know, two years of a number one pick, I say. It, it's true. Um, I have no clue in this game. If I had a bet, just give me an over, uh, but not sure. Ryan, what do you think? I think Nick Saban is going on his revenge tour for the rest of the year. Like you said, one loss doesn't knock them out, but they need to be stylish from here on out. They got to go straight urban Meyer. And try to and try to win a couple of games convincingly that normally they would slog out. So this would normally, I would I would take the twenty one in, in most spots. But coming off a loss, a pissed off Nick Saban at home, I'll lay those points. Betting on Alabama after a loss is never a wise move, and betting against them in general is uh, never a wise move. I will say that they have struggled in the secondary, and as Tennessee showed. You can pick them apart with a good quarterback and receivers, and that's exactly what Mississippi State has. So I'd be worried about laying this many points in this game. But they dink and dunk. Mississippi State doesn't throw the ball more than nine yards down the field. Tennessee beat them with just deep ball after deep ball out of that stack formation uh, because they just had a numbers advantage. It was just a 3v2 on one side or the other, and they just picked the right side. It makes it easier. So. It's a totally different passing scheme, and you, I don't think, think this the, is one's going to worry. Alabama tackles well. They're just not covering well. So I think they're going to be fine with Mississippi State keeping everything in front of them and just making tackles. I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. And like I said, I can't actually bring myself to do it and bet against them coming off a loss. But, you know, if uh, Coach Leach can't watch the tape from last week and figure out some ways to pick uh, apart that secondary, then, you know, maybe he's uh, – Maybe he's not as good a coach as we thought, and maybe he'll need to pursue a secondary career, which is why I huh. now turn it over to Dan. You know, a lot of coaches do need careers. Mike Leach, he's doing pretty well, but other coaches, they get drummed out of the business uh, so badly that they never return. And then when that happens, Dan, there's only one option. There's only one option, Tom, and that's to go work at a restaurant. Uh, it might be uh, Louis Chicken in Auburn, Alabama. It might be McDonald's with Scott Frost. You don't know. But um, Mike Leach, interesting character, quotable, endless quotes, endless comedy, endless craziness, 
endless points with the air raid. So if he was no no longer the coach of Mississippi State, he would be a good restaurant manager at Red Robin because Red Robin has endless French fries on your side dish, and he would know how to handle that. Mike Leach is a wacky guy. Um, you know, he you might interview him after the game. He'll give some advice on marriage. He'll start quoting something about animals. He might even take uh, a player and put him in a shed and lock the door. You don't know what he's going to do. Um, Red Robin, you know, if you haven't been there, you might think this is just, you know, burgers, chicken sandwiches. It is. But did you know that inside of Red Robin, there's actually a place to get pizza? They have like another restaurant within a restaurant. It's like those like little fucking um, like things from like the Ukraine or Russia, Tom, like those little dolls. Like a nesting doll. Yeah, it's one of those, but it's a pizza restaurant inside of the Red Robin. So I've never been to a Red Robin. Add that to the list too, Tom. Uh, but um, yeah, so basically endless nonsense from Leach, endless fries out of Red Robin. That, that's basically where I'm going with this. It's not a super creative coach's restaurant. Um, Red Robin is is okay. I mean, I think it's above average. And, and I think Leach does above average given where he's coached. You know, he went to Washington State where you get no recruits, two-star guys, and made it like a, you know, I think he won 11 or 12. I think he won 11 games one year there, which is crazy. You know, Mississippi State is like not a powerhouse in the SEC. And he's made them, you know, pretty formidable. They're going to win eight or nine games in that conference, which is pretty good. So, uh if I'm looking for a burger and endless sweet potato fries, I'll go to Red Robin. It's like 11 bucks, and it's not too bad. So real simple this week, Mike Leach, Red Robin. All right, another fantastic Coach's Restaurant segment. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Very well. Anything else to say on this game, or shall we move on? Move on. Just a couple games left to talk about. Minnesota travels to Penn State. Tom Z also travels to Penn State this <laughs> yes, week. Yes, that is correct. Uh, Penn State minus four, total 44 and a half. Uh, Tanner Morgan, big question mark for Minnesota. Looks like he's concussed uh, and or injured or both. I don't know. But I'm not sure if he's going to play this game. Without him, Minnesota's offense is extremely bad, and that's how they lost to Illinois last week. Penn State, however, managed to make Michigan punt zero times last week, and that is unacceptable. Uh, Manny Diaz, fuck off. That was unacceptable and ruined my under and my Penn State plus seven, and I don't like to lose two bets in one game, and that's what happened to start my week last week. Not too happy. So, Tom, explain to me why Penn State can win this game. And I still have flashbacks to us seeing Penn State lose to Minnesota, ranked number one overall in the 90s when we went to the game. Uh, and it feels like this might happen again. In the 90s, yes. And then again, I mentioned it earlier, but that classic LSU-Alabama game in 2019, we were both at our friend George's house in Massachusetts. And Penn State, also having a good season, lost. I think they were undefeated at the time, lost to Minnesota that time. So. Me and you yep. cannot be together when Penn State plays Minnesota. That seems to be the curse. Um, I'll be going with my father to the game this time, not you. So that bodes better. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, first off, it's a night game. It's a whiteout game. Um, 
which is usually awesome. But uh, the whiteout is tricky because, you know, I don't own like a white winter jacket and it's going to be like 35 degrees at the game. So I'm going to have to figure out some creative dress so that I can wear my white Penn State sweatshirt and, you know, rock the white and also not freeze to death and be left there forever. So that's number one. Uh, number two, Tanner Morgan, actually, now they're saying he might play, quote unquote, might play after being assumed out a couple days ago. And that, I think, is why the line opened at seven and is now at four. Uh, also, I don't know how reputable this is, but I've heard that Sean Clifford sustained some kind of injury last week against Michigan. Um, it would make sense because Drew Aller came in, you know, a little bit earlier than I would have expected. And, uh, you know, Clifford took a lot of hits from that Michigan defense. So if he plays and is not a hundred percent, or if he somehow, you know, they're keeping quiet and he's not playing, then, you know, I think all that, it kind of explains the line, uh, and the movement and the under. So you could potentially have a game with no Sean Clifford, no Tanner Morgan. My uh, personal belief is that Clifford will play and Morgan will not. So that gives Penn State a pretty big advantage right there. The whiteout gives them a pretty big advantage. And at four, I will take Penn State. Uh, Illinois was able to run on Minnesota. Penn State, you know, when they can run, they're good. And when they get beat on the line, like against Michigan, things get real bad real quick. So I think this matchup is favorable to Penn State. Next week, we might just skip that one when they play Ohio State. We might just not talk about that one because I don't know if I can handle that. I might have to just not watch because that one's going to be difficult. Difficult. Um, right. A quick aside on Manny Diaz. It's one thing to lose. And it's one thing to have your team lose and like the other team clearly is better and clearly just manhandles your team. That happens, you know, when you're 40 years old and you've watched decades of college football, there are going to be times when that happens. But to never adapt or never even try anything different is what I find totally unacceptable. And the Penn State defense, after getting manhandled in the first half, did not adapt at all in the second half did not adapt in the fourth quarter after Michigan started pulling away. And the first time they really adapted at all was with like, I don't know, eight minutes left in the game. That's the first time they started stacking the box. Um, JJ McCarthy, he might be the best quarterback in the country, but we don't know that because they haven't really played anyone and he barely had to throw the ball against Penn State. So me as a layperson, I probably would have... Um, stuffed the run and stacked everyone in the box and at least have him prove that he can complete a 12 yard pass because he's never really shown us that in his career to this point. Um, and Manny Diaz just refused to do that until like the game was already well out of hand. Then you saw in the, with, you know, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, Penn state was crashing the line on every single play when you knew it was going to be a run, but that's what happens. Um, when you don't adjust, um, you get, you know, they would have lost either way. Let me make that clear. But like, I would just like to see some effort, some adjustment from the coaching staff, particularly Manny Diaz and just, just do something like it was just, it was, it was tough to watch. Embarrassing as a Penn state fan. So, uh, 
Minnesota this year is not Michigan, so I'm not too worried about this game. Uh, I think it'll be a close one, a fun game, but I think Penn State pulls it out by like uh, a touchdown. Brian, thoughts? Pass. I'm going to pass as well. Good. All right. Two games left to talk about, then you guys can talk about ones that you want to. Uh, Kansas State at TCU. Interesting game here. Um, TCU minus three and a half at home, total 55. Seems like um, every week for TCU is just a big game after a big game. Kansas State, uh, nice little season, five and one. Adrian Martinez or Taylor Martinez. I don't think it's Adrian. Um, real simple. Uh, Kansas State's going to want to play slow. TCU's going to play fast. Just give me the over on 55. Uh, it's the 50s in college football. It's pretty straightforward to me. Not sure about the rest. Ryan, what do you think about this? I think TCU's the real deal. And I think TCU wins this game back at home after an emotional win last week. This is a uh, – should – I think Vegas thinks this is a letdown spot. But like you said, they just play big game after big game, and I think they're kind of used to it. So I like TCU in this spot. I'm with Ryan hundred percent. I think TCU's the real deal. Two weeks in a row they've they've played stiff competition and they've won really like gutty wins. And um Kansas State will be tough. Um, but they're a different style, as you mentioned, than the rest of the the Big Twelve. And if TCU can get up early, I don't think Kansas State has the firepower to get back in the game. If Kansas State can keep it low scoring and ugly and messy, then that gives them the advantage. But even if that happens, TCU, you know, much like they did against Oklahoma state or even against Kansas can always, you know, pull together one really high scoring quarter or, you know, they can cover, even if it is an ugly game that favors Kansas state, they can still win by seven points. So give me the three and a half. Uh, and I'm riding with TCU, our Tinder team for the year. Been very impressed by that wide receiver at TCU, uh, Quentin Johnson. Last two games, twenty-two catches for three eighty-six. That's uh, extremely impressive. He's going to be the top receiver in the draft this year. I really He's think he is. Beast. He's very, very good. I will okay, say. Let me, let me add one oh, thing. Sorry, I've been impressed with Max Duggan, the quarterback. And what's impressed yeah. me is um, we talk about guys who are just winners like an intangible quality of being a winner and when they beat kansas a couple weeks ago and they kind of you know came from behind uh and it was a really emotional game you would think except he gets in the interview after the game and they're like oh what a gritty performance what an incredible game he's like yeah we did a good job proud of the win uh cool yeah all right on to the next one and to me that was like all right this guy's the real deal because he doesn't give a shit. He just expected to win. He's a all business, as we say, at take the points. So is he, is he another like 24, 23 year old? I think he's probably, I think he's on the older side, but yeah, there's a, let's say there's a maturity about him. That's probably the, the better way to put it. I like it. Uh, all right. My favorite game of the week. Pitt at Louisville. Louisville minus two and a half, total 55. Let me explain this one to America here. If you have a strong opinion on this game, your opinion is wrong. There is no way to know 
what's going to happen this game. All outcomes are on the board. Pitt blowout, Louisville blowout, low-scoring game, high-scoring game. It's Narduzzi. It's Satterfield. It's Malik Cunningham. It's Slovitz. It's a it's a, a Banacanda. This game's fucking crazy. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put over, under, Pitt, and Louisville in a hat. I'm going to shake it around like so. And I'm going to reach in. I'm going to pick out one of those four bets. I'm going to show it to you guys. I'm going to screenshot it. And that's what I'm going to bet and watch that game on Saturday night. Because I'd be happy with anything. Just give me any any of the four sides and I can just root for it. Because there's no way to know what the hell is going to happen. Brian, thoughts? <laughs> well, since you just said that if you have thoughts, you're a moron. Uh, let me jump right in. Your opinion I'm, is wrong. I'm taking the Nard Dog on the oh, road. God, you see how crazy that sounds? I'm taking Nard Dog <laughs> on the road, and I'm taking the over. Let's go. Okay, well, see. That sounds crazy, and the over sounds crazy as well. Tom, go ahead. Take the other side. I'll tell you you sound crazy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I really like Louisville to cover this game, and I like uh-huh. – what did you take, an over or under, Ryan? Over. over. Okay. I like Louisville to cover the two-and-a-half in a low-scoring game. You're going to trust Scott Satterfield at home <laughs> and, 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 and worry about – and under with these terrible defenses playing, there's no you can argue against all four picks. It's by far my favorite game. Might be my favorite game of the whole year. Dan, this game's going to be excellent. Congratulations, you have just invented a new segment on Take the Points that we are going to do again next week called Your Opinion is Wrong. We're going <laughs> to find right. a game where all possible choices are incorrect. Me and Ryan will pick, we'll choose opposing sides, and you'll tell us both <laughs> why we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I, I think that's a good idea. I really like that. Seriously, right. though, uh, if, if if you're into alcohol, this is your <laughs> game. This is the game for you. So, besides that, fucking forget it. You think pit, Look, people in Pittsburgh Cuse, and Louisville are into alcohol? All of it. The Cuse ran all over Louisville. I got a pen. Pitt's got a stud running back. I just that that's all I'm going on. That's literally all I'm going on. Mm-hmm. Pat Narduzzi, Ryan. Pat Narduzzi. He might get 12 Two carries words. this week. I don't know. He ran for 300 <laughs> last that's week. He thing. might get 12 carries. I don't know. Slovis might drop back 68 times. Can you I? Like, oh, Louisville. Louisville win 13, seven and a half. A band of can only three touches. <laughs> strange, strange play calling here. All right, here's an opinion that that is wrong in that it's not going to happen, but it's correct in that it should happen. I think this should be a loser leaves town match where the losing coach gets fired on the spot. I know that Narduzzi is not in that kind of trouble or that kind of hot seat. Satterfield, as we know from the tarmac report, is. But um, whoever loses should just get fired on the spot. That's what should happen. I like it. Well, in that case, we all have to root for Pitt. Because Nardog's just too entertaining to have out of football. I don't want Nardog to be fired. I want him there for No, me neither. I want him Same to here. sign the lowest paid, longest contract ever. 
you know, in this year uh-huh. where everyone gets, you know, Heupel's going to get like 10 years, 150 million or something. I want Nard Dog to sign a 30 year, uh, $14 million contract. <laughs> that's fair. All right. Well, that's all the games I want to talk about. Tom, you got any? Uh, I'm surprised you skipped Kansas Baylor. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's just too hard because of injuries. You don't know if quarterback uh, for Baylor is going to play Blake Shapin or what was the backup stand that you liked? Is oh, a Mortal Kombat character or something? Tyron Drones. Oh yeah, it was like the, the it was it was like the kid of the former Oregon running back Ruben Drones, as we yeah. just hoped. That Tyron was Drones case. sounds like a like um, it's like a team at Lockheed Martin. It's like yeah, my name's Tom. I work on the Chiron Drones project. Accurate. So yeah, too, there's no way to know due to injury. That's why I skipped that one. Uh, another one. This is not a pick, but just a comment. Uh, Notre Dame minus 27 against UNLV. This line reflects extremely poorly on the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, because Notre Dame had one of the worst losses of the whole year, maybe the worst loss of the whole year last week. Uh, I think that their loss to Marshall was worse. So I think that they have the worst two losses of the year or Pitt losing to Georgia tech at home in Pittsburgh. But that's a whole nother story. I don't know who the coach is at UNLV Ryan, but he should be on the tarmac just for this line alone. The fact that they would make this line. Uh, here is one. I like Northwestern at Maryland under 51. Uh, uh, little Tua, probably not going to play, maybe going to play questionable, uh, Northwestern. It doesn't matter who plays. They're the worst team in the big 10 in a year where we know there's a lot of bad teams in the big 10. So these teams combining for 51 points seems very unreasonable to me. Uh, and then, you know, sticking in the big 10, I actually like Wisconsin minus two and a half home against Purdue. Um, they've looked much improved in just two weeks under Jim Leonard. So uh, the prophecy we gave a couple weeks ago is coming true where they're going to compete for the big 10 West title just by firing Paul Christ. And uh, I think that's it for me. Ryan, you have anything else? Yeah, I got a couple of quick ones. Um, Army minus six and a half home against UL Monroe. UL Monroe is really bad this year. And just the idea of a Louisiana team going up to West Point just feels really tough this time of year. So I like Army minus the six and a half. Um, I also like Texas Tech minus Texas Tech minus six and a half versus West Virginia. We know West Virginia can really only win games at home. Going on the road to Lubbock does not sound like a great proposition for them. And I actually really like Texas Tech this year. I think they're undervalued. So under a touchdown, give me that. Uh, and then the other game I really, really like is um, Tulane. Minus seven, home versus Memphis. This is a down Memphis team, and they're coming off a four-overtime loss to East Carolina last week on the road. So a four overtime loss on the road. And now you have to go on another road game at Tulane. Who's pretty good. Give me the seven with Tulane. Heisman watch. Can Hendon hooker actually win a Heisman? 
Of course. He already yeah, did. If, there's a chance that he already did, and if they make the playoff, he's getting it. Uh, if Ohio State goes undefeated and Stroud throws 55 touchdowns, he'll probably get it. But if Michigan beats Ohio State again or Ohio State loses one random game, Hooker's going to get it. I do feel like Ohio State is beatable, but I also feel like, you know, CJ Stroud seems like just a default choice, much like Bryce Young was last year. It's like, this is the default and somebody show us that you can take it from them. You know, like every Ohio State quarterbacks in the, in contention. Now I love the idea that Hendon Hooker, a sixth year guy who transferred from a team that hasn't been in the mix recently, I, I love that it's just new blood, which feels weird to say about Tennessee and a guy who's been there six years. But like, please, you know, he should be number one right now. And and let's hope things continue because him winning, it would be so much of a better story than just like a guy who was the number one recruit a couple years ago. Mm, yep. Anything else you guys want to add before we wrap up for the week? Uh, I'm going to leave you guys with a question to ponder for next week. Is there a number, is there a contract extension number that would be too high to give Josh Heupel? Think about what number, if you're going to give him an extension, which you have to do it sooner than later, how, is there a number that's too big? Uh, no, there's no number high enough. I mean, he's already turned the program completely around. Even if he got 150 million more than, you know, that's more than Jimbo or Tucker. I think that's totally fine. I think, well, when you put it that way, I think more than Jimbo or Tucker would be warranted. Yeah. I mean, those were monster deals. Um, I would be fine with a 10 year, $200 million deal, honestly. Does he hire Scott Frost? No, because don't Frost, do it. Frost, no. Frost brought him in at UCF. Does he return the favor and try to join the Nick Saban coaches rehab program and try to bring Frost back to rehab his image as an OC Please or don't. as like a you know assistant something and like one quality, of those guys in the yeah, cage. offensive quality control coach. I would not bring frost into mow the grass. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad karma. All right, something to think about, not frost. Do not think about him, but think about the mm-hmm. success of Tennessee football and how nice it is to have them back. Uh, think about that for the next week, and uh, we'll be back next week. I'll have a report from Happy Valley. We'll... Uh, talk more about nard dog and his stunning victory and or stunning defeat and uh more great segments on take the points bye